I want to start this morning just asking for those of you who work a nine to five, how satisfied are you with your job on a scale one to ten? You know, there's been some research done. There's different numbers that are out there about uh, how many Americans feel engaged in their work and don't feel engaged with their work. And I was, you know, a bit surprised to see how high that percentage was of people who are working nine to five jobs who just feel disengaged and disconnected and, and lack of passion with their work. And even, even Christians feel that and, and, and have that experience. And so uh, we're, we're going to start this series on connecting our faith and with work. So work and faith series, knowing that most of the church is not in full-time ministry and isn't called to be in full-time, quote, full-time vocational ministry. Yet all of the church is called to be ministers and ministering, ministering in, in one sense, in full-time ministry. So that that is you're ministering the gospel, the love of Christ, prayer, representing Jesus everywhere you go. We want to meet you guys where you're at with this series and encourage you where you're at in your work life. We don't want to just call our church to do activities that we have going on here. We want to encourage you to bring the mission, bring the gospel to every relationship that you have out there. That's how the church makes an impact on the world. That's what we see in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, most of the miracles that occurred occurred outside the four walls of the church services, right? And so God's on the move, not just in here on Sundays or Wednesdays when we gather. God's on the move out there. And we want to break down these these divides that we have when it comes to separating our, our work in our church life or our work in our faith. Through this series, we want to help everyone see here that that all of life is is connected together that your work matters uh that your work has value and dignity and that God has uniquely designed you for work and to be productive and faithful and fruitful in the work that he's called you to and and also to guard against some of the dangers that are involved with with working like overwork and and turning work into an idol. So I'm going to begin uh, this week, and we're going to look start start go back to the book of Genesis, where where in the Bible work is is first mentioned. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your people, and and how your word is a lamp into our feet, and how your word is a is a light into our path. And Father, I pray that today and through this series that your saints, your children here would get equipped for every good work and that in their vocation and in their relationships, God, that, that, that we as a church would give ourselves to the work of the ministry, bringing honor to your name and bringing good and blessing to those around us. I pray that you would fill me and use me this morning to encourage and firm what you're doing in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, the first thing that I want to want to point out here this morning is that the gospel changes how we view our work, how we do our work, 
and why we do our work. So that's where we're going this morning. The gospel changes how we view our work, how we do our work, and why we do our work. So turn to uh, Genesis 2 there if you have your Bibles. If you don't, it's up on the screen. Genesis 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The first thing I I think it's important for us to note here is that God himself works. God himself works. He's, he's working currently. Uh, so God works. He, he worked in creating the heavens and the earth and everything that's in the earth. And then he, he works to care and sustain all of creation. The, the theological term that, that theologians have for this is called providence. He, he cares and he guides and he directs his, his creation. He not only created it, but he's, he's actively and intimately involved in his creation. And then God took a break on the seventh day. God took a break and he rested. And I don't think that's because he got out of breath and he got weary. He's like, gosh, those, those hippos and those oceans and those mountains just wore me out. I need to take a break here. I think he did that for a model for us. A model of work rest rhythm and we'll talk a little bit about that. But, but the first thing here I want to point out is, is that God works and the, and, and, and so we want to start with the biblical view of our work. The God of the Bible is somebody who works and he has created us in his image. He's designed mankind in his image to work as well. Okay, and so that's the next thing is that God's designed us to work in Genesis chapter one, verse 26. God, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, so God had this plan and had this design in mind when he was creating mankind that there would be a task for, for mankind to do, that mankind wouldn't just sit idle in creation. Uh, Genesis 2.15 says, And the Lord God took man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it and keep it. Of course, yes, they could eat from every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That, that's another aspect, by the way, that, that, we need, that we need to take note of is that there is this aspect of enjoying What's there, what God has provided and enjoying uh, work itself and, and the fruit of our labors. I want to highlight here that this is before this is before the fall. This is before the curse and the sin and, and the curse, uh, God's judgment on sin. And, and, and God told mankind that God told man that that because they had sinned, that uh, that you're going to work and it, you're, it's, it's going to be toilsome. Uh, and then the, the woman, he told the woman that you're going to bear children and it's going to be hard. There's going to be pain. This was in paradise here. So God's idea of paradise is not absence of work. Okay? I think that's important. Some of us might need a, a paradigm shift because 
in our minds, some of us may think paradise is sitting at the beach with a lemonade and no work at all, right? But God's idea of paradise uh, involves work because God himself is a worker and he's made us in his image. And, and we're in, wired within our DNA. We have this need and desire to do something, to be responsible beings, to be fruitful, to be productive, to, to have responsibility and have something and someone to care for. Um, we, we also see that there's, there's different kinds of, of work, uh, this here, this working the garden and keeping it, I think, refers to some manual labor, some physical manual labor. And by the way, I don't know if you've thought much about this, but but when God decided to step into the world and become a man, Jesus Christ, the word became flesh. Jesus had a job before he started a full time itinerant ministry. He had a job. You know what he was? He was a carpenter. And he worked hard with his hands. He worked hard with his hands. Okay? So the God of the Bible, as we see from the beginning, God is a God who works. He works in creating. But even in, in Jesus, we see this man who grew up and he was actively involved in the physical world. And he did physical labor. He worked hard. He sweat. He, he worked physically. So there's, there's this physical work. And then there's also mental work as well. Uh, I think when, when God, uh, put Adam over naming the animals, he brought the animals to him. What's he going to name the hippopotamus here? I think that Adam had to do some mental work coming up with a sufficient name for the hippopotamus and the giraffe and, and all the animals that were entrusted to him. So biblically we see that, 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 that there's dignity and, and not just mental work and, and work that's less physically demanding, but also physical work. Because the physical world that God created isn't evil, it's good. God saw it, and what did he say? It was good. God saw, he, he, he did all this work on six days, and, and, he, and he sat back, and he took a look at it, and he saw that it was good. I think God was taking delight and enjoyment in his own work. And I think that's an important model for us as us to do as well. And, and that as, as we, we give ourselves to do the things that God has called us to do, that, that we have rhythms within our week, that we step back and we rest and we take a look at the work that we've done and, and, and God's involvement in our life throughout the week. And we just enjoy it and we just take it in. That's important for our souls. So, so again, God, God's design for mankind is to work, and this was before the fall. So, so don't view work as a curse. <laughs> don't view hard work as a curse. Work, physical labor, and, and mental labor, and spiritual labor, and relational labor, working with people, working with your hands, with stuff, working with computers, uh, it's not a curse. The curse of sin tends to magnify the, the struggle of our work. Ten, because of the curse of sin, our work tends to magnify our struggle. Right? So we have those moments at work that we get frustrated. We get worn out. And, and some of us may want to say a, a bad word. Or, have, or some of us may have a bad attitude on the job. Right? 
And so God, within that workplace, God is purifying us and shaping us and molding us. I think back to, to when I was working at a, at, a, an, at a warehouse job. I was working at Weir's Furniture. And there was not air conditioning in the warehouse that I worked at. And so it was sweat. It was lifting, pushing, pulling, loading, uh, you know, working with other guys to get tasks done. And, and there was just this struggle that I would feel. And at times I would, I would look down. I had this, I had a perspective that needed the shift when it came, when it came to work because I didn't value at that point in my life, I didn't value the physical labor as much. Uh, I didn't have a, I think a biblical worldview. I, I wanted, I would rather be a salesperson and work with people, right? I would rather be, I would rather have less physical demands on, on, on my work and, and have more, uh, relational connections and stuff and, and work. But, but biblically we see that there's dignity, there's dignity for both manual labor and mental and, and relational labor as well. And so God's designed us for that and, 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 and I used to, at one point in my life, I idolized ministry. I had this, like I, I wanted to be in full-time ministry. And since, at some point, specifically reading uh, a book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor, my mind shift of work changed. I changed in how I view physical labor and just all of, all of work. I, cause I see that God puts dignity and value on all different types of work. So the, the, the reformers had this perspective where they were pushing back on some of the Roman Catholic views of, of work and calling and, and there was this exalted view of the Pope, right? And priest. And so, and everybody else tend to, you know, they, they tended to be seen as like a lower class or, or not as a high rank of a Christian, right? The priests are, have the high calling, but, you know, the laity or lay, lay people didn't have as, as much as a dignified, honorable position of work. And some of the reformers, they, they push back on this idea and they, they emphasize something called the priesthood of the believers. And, and Pastor Mike next week is going to preach on that. But some of the quotes here, so here's one from from Martin Luther. He says, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. Amen? Amen. The the Christian shoemaker uh, does the Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Amen. That's from Martin Luther. John Calvin said this. He said, no task will be seen so sword and base provided you obey your calling in it that, that it will not shine and be reckoned very precious in God's sight. And so this is, this is, a, this is a helpful shift to, to not have this, this divide of what, what folks call the secular sacred divide. Like, you know, the spiritual work is the dignified work and then the physical work or just the secular work is not as dignified. God has called people to both. All right. He's called us to various types of work. And I think it's important as a church to affirm those callings. So if you're an engineer to affirm those, that the calling of God 
on your life to, to, to work as an engineer. If you're a teacher, to affirm. We want to affirm that as a call of God, not, not as like a second class call because it's not a missionary or a pastor or a chaplain, but that's a, a legitimate, honorable call that has dignity and value because God has designed us to work. And you can glorify God in that vocation, in that role. If God's called you to be a mother, to, to stay home and, and take care of the home and raise the children and make sure there's peace and order and a, a place where your children can thrive, that is an honorable calling. That's discipleship. That's making disciples. And so we want to affirm that. Uh, that, that there's various types of callings and we don't in any way want to come have that divide of the, that the, the full-time ministry and the preachers and the priests that were up here and everybody else is down here. We want to do what the reformers did and kind of lower the playing field, right? right. We're, we're all ministers. We all should be. And actually in Ephesians 4, we're told that that the, 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 the leaders within the church are to equip the saints for what? The work of the ministry. So every saint is called to be a minister and be involved in the work of the ministry. And that can be salted in every job that you guys have, right? Driving trucks, you know, that can be salted in there. You can do the work of the ministry in that and then around that as well. So your work matters. We want to affirm that. We in no way want to come across as, you know, you know, uh, full-time Christian ministry is more valuable than what you're doing as a teacher or a doctor or a dentist or uh, a mother. Tim Keller in his book, Every Good Endeavor, says, Your daily work is ultimately an act of worship to God who has called you and equipped you to do it no matter what kind of work it is. Amen? Now, I would, I would qualify that. If, you're, if your work is drug dealing, then I would say then that, that doesn't apply. Um, but it, I think other than that, it's true. I mean, there's other, so, so, so whatever God's called you to do, whatever God's called you to do, see it as an act of worship to God, a way that you honor God, a way that you glorify God by giving your best and doing it with excellence, doing it to honor him and doing it to bless other people. Tim Keller says this, that the gospel also frees us from a condescending attitude towards less sophisticated labor and from envy of more exalted work. That's powerful right there. And I think that's a mind shift that many folks need to have. And I think we need to embrace the gospel and embrace a biblical view of our work where we don't have a condescending attitude towards less sophisticated labor. So if you work at a tire shop and you change tires and you're getting dirty and it's sweaty and it's loud and it's, it's hard, like let's not have, let's not look down and have a condescending attitude towards a, a job vocation like that. Somebody in, in, in various, uh, job vocations could, can honor God with joyful, faithful, excellent service just as much as, as other, other vocations. So your work matters. Your work is valuable to God because God, God himself is a worker. God has designed you and I to work and there's, and he's given us dignity. He's given us responsibility. We reflect God through our ability to work and good work, right? So on the flip side of that, your work is not everything. So your work matters. 
But your work is not everything. Ultimately, our work does not give us our identity or meaning in life. God does through our relationship with Him. You see, work was never made to replace our relationship with God. It's one aspect, it's one very important aspect of our life that, that does add meaning and is a part of our purpose in life, but it doesn't eclipse everything else. You see, our identity in Christ, our identity as children of God is not based on our job performance. It's based on the grace of God. It's based on the grace of God, yet emotionally and mentally we may not feel like that because our, we, we, we feel feeling when we perform well, we feel affirmed in who we are, right? right. When we perform bad, then, then we stroke, we have identity crisis, don't we? Many of us do, right? And so there's a, there's a deeper root issue here that God wants to get at through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the message of grace that, that your work, your vocational work and your good works don't establish your identity as a child of God. The grace of God establishes your identity. And this is important. This is important because this can free us up from making our work, our vocation and our ambition and and work to be an idol. Because if your joy and your identity rises or falls on the success of your your vocation and, and of your job performance, then you may have made your work an idol. You can be happy in Jesus and fulfilled in Jesus and not be doing the best at work. Right. And this is something as a pastor, I have to apply the gospel to myself leading this church. This is something I have to remind myself of uh, that that I'm not my validation as a child of God or uh, as a Christian isn't based on how well our church is doing, how big our church is or how things are going. I have this connection with Jesus that is most important, that defines who I am. And that frees me up to from from overworking. Okay, When we know who we are in Christ based on grace, that can free us up from overworking and that can free us up from, uh, uh, from, from being prideful and, and, and having our identity wrapped up in our vocation. Here's another part of the gospel perspective when it comes to our work. Um, the gospel, Tim Keller says this, that the gospel frees us from having to prove ourselves and secure our identity through work. For we are already proven and secure. Amen? So again, if, if, if this topic interests you, I highly recommend that you get the book, Every Good Endeavor, Connecting Your, your Work with God's Work. It's a, it's a great read. Um, Tim Keller uh, is a pastor in Manhattan, uh, in New York, and there's, you know, it's, it's a work culture. It's a business culture there, and, and, and he is just doing an excellent job in communicating this, this message, this heart here affirming the calling of God on various folks' lives. As we see, there's this danger of making our job an idol, making it everything, making, you know, our, wrapping our identity and our joy and our sense of meaning and purpose. Uh, our jobs do not ultimately give us meaning and purpose. We don't ultimately get our meaning and purpose from our work. We bring meaning and purpose to our work. 
because we're made in the image of God and we have a relationship with God and we're commissioned and called by God. And so whatever we're doing, even if it seems menial and it seems small and less sophisticated and less important, we can do it for the glory of God with excellence and put our whole heart into it. There is a place of rest for you and I to find in the midst of giving ourselves to the work that God's called us to do. Jesus says this in Matthew 11:28 through 30, "Come to me all who come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." This idea of taking a yoke, yoke implies that there's work to be done. Alright? As you see there, there's a, there's a two oxen there yoked. There's a, they have a yoke on and they're working together. And Jesus says, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You'll find rest in, in taking, in coming to me. You'll find rest for your soul. And then the implication of taking the yoke is that there's work to be done. It's not like, when we come to Jesus, we're not going to do anything anymore where we just, we rest in the sense that we're not active and we're not doing anything at all. There's a sweet spot in walking with Jesus of giving ourselves fully to the work he's called, and called us to do and yet finding a place of rest in it. A sweet spot of grace for us to find and one of the ways for us to experience this is to salt in within our weekly rhythms days of rest. God himself rested on the seventh day. He rested. And that's a time for us to recharge. That's a time for us to reflect. That's a time for us to enjoy. That's a time for us to worship. And when we do that, when we learn to salt in rhythms of weekly rest, we actually become more productive and more fruitful in the work that God has called us to do. Mentally, you know, we get the, the rest and recharge that we need spiritually, emotionally, physically, and we can be more productive and, and fruitful in, in that. So the gospel changes our perspective of work. And then the, the gospel also influences how you and I perform at work. Uh, Colossians 3, Paul in Colossians and, and Ephesians, Paul unpacks gospel truth. Uh, in Colossians, he unpacks uh, aspects of who Jesus is. And, and then, um, uh, so he, he, he starts with indicative truth about the gospel, about Jesus. And then in the latter half of Colossians and in uh, Ephesians, he has imperatives. He has action. He has application that he calls the church to do. But it's in light of what Christ has done. In light of what Christ has done. So other words, in response to the gospel, church live like this. Colossians 3.12, you know, put therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Like, live like this. Uh, Ephesians 5, you were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of the light. Right? And so we see that the actions and the performance of a Christian flows from the, the identity of the Christian, knowing who we are and then living out who we are through our action, through our job performance, if you will, through our good works, if you will. 
right? Ephesians 2, 8 says that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then Ephesians 2, 10, he says that, that we are God's worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works that God has determined beforehand that we should walk in. So, so God saves us by His grace, but, but He also has these works that He wants us to walk in as Christians, not to save us. Uh, we don't do these works to save us, to redeem ourselves, or even to keep ourselves. We do them because of what Christ has done for us. He has saved us. Jesus' work is finished. Before He died on the cross, He said, it is finished. And you and I can rest in that. We can find rest for our souls in that. And we can respond to that. We can look at the one who gave everything for us. He poured out his life for us. And we respond to that gospel that Jesus suffered and he died. He lived perfectly. He did the good works that the Father had called Him to do. He said, I have finished the work you've called me to do. I have glorified you here on earth. You see, you and I have failed to do that. You and I have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And ever since Genesis 3, since the fall of mankind, that has been the pattern for all of humanity. And Jesus Christ steps in and He changes that. Fully God, fully man, Jesus lives a perfect life, sinless. His work is excellent. Every, he does everything the Father calls Him to do, vocationally, uh, morally, spiritually. I mean, He lives out a life of perfect obedience to the Father. And he says, it's finished, and you and I rest in that. As Christians, He's accomplished our salvation. And then we respond to that by giving ourselves in sacrifice as well. We respond to the mercies of God. We respond to the grace of God. In Colossians 3.22 here, he says, Bond servants obey in everything those who, who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. So here's one of the ways that Paul is saying, apply the gospel to your work here, bond servants. And this is, I think for us, another way of saying in our day, uh, employees, okay? Employees, okay? I, I think that the, when you see servants or slaves here, I, I don't think uh, American slavery, uh, I think it was a little bit different there. Um, but it's, I think more so, it fits more so the idea of employees. You're, you're a servant, uh, and you're an employer in some sense. And so obey in everything. Obey your boss. Do what he says. Christians should honor God by doing what their boss says. Of, of course, unless he tells you to lie, cheat, or steal, do something immoral, then the authority of God, uh, exceeds that. Um, but, but do it with sincerity of heart. Not just with eye services, people pleasers. Don't just act like you're being diligent when the boss comes around, right? And get off of, you know, the Facebook or whatever. Or get off of whatever else you were doing that you know you weren't supposed to be doing when the boss comes around. <laughs> be sincere and, and true and real and, 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 uh, and fear God. Fear God and so work out of reverence and work in sincerity. That should mark 
our lives as Christians. And then Colossians 3.23, I think this is one of the best verses when I think about how the gospel influences our work. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Amen. Amen? So in this, we see this, this work heartily. We see diligence. We see excellence. Uh, I, I think it means to like just put your soul into it. Like give yourself to it. Okay? Give yourself. Let, let there be a passion in you to do what God has called you to do and to do what He's given you to do. Your work is more than just earning a paycheck. Don't just see your work as earning a paycheck, right? As, as the video we watched before the sermon there, it says there was this one builder, uh, Mason, who, uh, he was, he was, you know, building a wall. Uh, the other one was earning a paycheck. And the other one says, I'm building a cathedral. Like he's, his perspective was different. See the value in your work. Your work matters. So do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto man. And then do it with integrity. Colossians 4.1 says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So if you're an employer or you're a manager and you have people under your authority at work, don't be unjust and unfair. Be a person of integrity. I was speaking with my father-in-law, who's a CPA, uh, accountant, and I asked him, how is your faith connected with your work? And, and one of the things that he mentioned is just is being honest. You know, he deals a lot with numbers and people come to him with their taxes and, and, and folks tend to want to, to do things on their taxes that maybe aren't honest and right. You know, and he was sharing with me the percentage of being audited is like maybe 1%. There's a 1% chance that they might audit you, right? But, but it's like, he was saying, it's like playing lottery with the, with the IRS. And, and it, there's a principle there for Christians that we are going to do what's right because we're, we're doing it in the sight of God. Not just before man. It's not just the IRS who might audit us. One day we know that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And our whole life is going to be evaluated and audited based on how we've lived as Christians. And we will be rewarded accordingly. And so we should have that motivation, as, as it says here in Colossians 4.1, knowing that we have, ultimately, Jesus is our master. So though you may be an employer and you may have folks under your authority, know that you have there's one that's, that's above you in authority. And you have to give an account to him. Amen. So the gospel changes is changes our perspective on work. It changes how we perform our work. Uh, and lastly, it changes our passion in our work. The why. Whatever you do, do work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. So I want to ask you, why do you do what you do at work? Do you work for a paycheck? Do you work to make your boss happy or your spouse happy? Do you work to, to prove your identity as in whatever vocation that you have? Do you work to make a name for yourself? Or do you work as unto the Lord as an act of worship for His glory and His honor? And yeah, it's legitimate to, I mean, we, we need to work to, to get food on the table. God uses the means of our physical labor, of our work to provide the food that we have and our daily bread. God uses the means, right? 
there's a quote by Martin Luther about God uses the maidservant to milk the cows and bring the milk out, you know. Uh, and, and so God uses the means. And, and so, but, but ultimately, what's, what's the why? What's the drive behind what you're doing as, as a mother, as a dentist, as an engineer, as a speech therapist, as a teacher? What, what, what drives you? In that vocation. Why do you do what you do? And I think that this is the passion that we should have. That we're doing it as unto God. That this is an act of worship to God. God sees this. And verse 24. God will reward this. Look look at verse 24. Who Paul says bond servants are ultimately serving. They're serving Jesus as their Lord. Though they, though they have an earthly master, they're ultimately serving Jesus as their Lord. This will help you per- persevere through bad attitudes from your boss and stuff that feels unjust and, and, and painful and a, the struggle. If you have this mindset that you're not just serving your supervisor or your manager or your boss or whoever else, that you're serving God in this, then it'll help you persevere through that. And he sees it. He will reward it. Tim Keller says this, the question regarding our work is no longer what will make me the most money and give me the most status. The question must be how with my existing abilities and opportunities can I be the greatest service to other people knowing what I do of God's, uh, uh, of God's will and human is of God's will and in human need. I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it. It shouldn't be, our drive and our why behind what we do shouldn't be what will make me the most money, what will make give me the most status. It should be how, with my existing abilities and opportunities, can I be of greatest service to other people, knowing that what I, what I do is of God's will, and the, the human need involved in that. I think if, if our mindset is what will make us the most money and give us the most status, then we may be prone to taking job vocations that God hasn't gifted us for and called us to. And then we get in a position where we're unhappy because we just can't do it like God has designed us to do it. So there's two, two people here I want to use as an example. Um, disabled folks. Uh, Nick Vucic, who has uh, no arms and no legs. Johnny Erickson Tata, who's a quadriplegic, uh, she, uh, both of them are very active in ministry and, and just they're, they're working. They're blessing people and they are not able to get up and stand and walk around and use their arms and legs. Actually, one doesn't even have arms and legs, but he gets around and he even has a wife and two kids. All right. This guy has no arms, no legs. And so we look at people like that and we're inspired and we're left with no excuses to not be diligent and faithful and productive in the work that God has called us to. Because even the disabled can find meaningful work in this life to glorify God and do good to other people in this life. And so lastly, an application here is, this is what I want to encourage you to to do here in, in applying this is, is seek a biblical view of work and renew your thinking about work where your, where your perspective doesn't line up with the Bible. Where do you need a paradigm shift? What needs to change about how you view your work? And then apply the gospel to your work life by establishing weekly rhythms of rest. You see, because of the gospel, we don't have to let ourselves be driven to overwork and exhaustion where we have no more gas 
We can, we can say no. We can put, do, put a cutoff to our work and not let whatever ambition drive us to overwork and wearing ourselves out. We can stop at an appropriate time and say, I'm going to rest. I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to clock out. I'm going to enjoy my family. I'm going to take a day of rest. I need this. God commands me to do this for my own good. And I believe that it will be more productive if I follow what God says. And so establish those weekly days of rest. That is one of the Ten Commandments, by the way. It made the the top ten there. Uh, Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. And, and I must admit that I'm, this is one of the areas that I've struggled in and it's been sin in my life is, 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 is lack of, of having those rhythms as I should. And it really is a discipline. It, it's, it, it, to, to, to rest, to just stop. And, and, and by the way, when God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, they weren't, they, before, they didn't have the freedom of having a day of rest. They were slaves in Egypt. So they couldn't just be like, well, we're going to take a day of rest today. If they did, they would get beaten, right? Right. But after God delivered them out of bondage, out of slavery, God says, one one day a week, I want you to just rest, slow down. That is an expression of freedom that we have in Christ through the gospel. We can rest and not be driven like by taskmasters. Amen. And then lastly, evaluate your passion for your work or lack of. And reflect on why are you doing what you're doing. Evaluate it. Look at why why are you doing what you're doing? Or or do you have passion for what you're doing? God God may be wanting to lead you somewhere else. Or he may want to just change your perspective concerning work and 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 help you be faithful and diligent and give yourself fully to where you're at. I think most of the time that's been the case with my experience and those that I've counseled that God's wanting to change me, not just change my job, right? Like we want to get out of the oven too quickly often, right? And and God's just, he's working on us. He's molding us. He's shaping us through the pressure of our our work. I I remember, so when when I first became a Christian, I was working at TCBY Yogurt. And uh, uh, I would... I was giving out free ice creams to all my friends. So I was making friends with free ice cream that wasn't mine. And I was a Christian and I, you know, I didn't, I was a new Christian. I didn't see anything wrong with it until one of the pastors walked in that of the church I was going to and I tried to give him some free ice cream and he had this way of just these, these piercing eyes and he looked me in the eyes and he said, Keith, are you being a man of integrity by giving me that free ice cream? And it just, it, 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 it pierced me. It convicted me. And I realized as a Christian, that's, that's not integrity. That's not, that's not right. Taking what's stealing from the company, I'm giving it out to, to somebody else. And so that, I started to apply the gospel to my life, to my work. And there's been many other areas that I've had to do that. My work relationships, my, my performance, my, uh, uh, many other ways. And so what areas specifically do you need to apply the gospel to your work? Father, thank you for designing us with purpose, dignity, value, and giving us something to do that would honor you and would bless others. And I pray that for your children here, that you would affirm each of your sons and daughters
and their vocation and their their calling and God that they would that that we all here would work heartily as unto you seeking to give you glory and honoring you even through hard difficult job situations give us grace may we find the sweet spot and through our communion with you through our relationship with you where we're able to rest yet work hard for your glory and for the good of others and so just pray uh, Psalm 90 verse 17 that that your your favor would rest upon us and that you would establish the work of our hands in Jesus name so let's respond here with with worship adoration